as our parents wanted to keep us away from the cameras and press attention. Crowds of people had gathered outside the landmark hotel where she lay, as word slowly spread among her friends. Police stretched out the official yellow keep-out ribbons, and the crowd milled and shivered in confusion, frustration, grief, and shock. Mother's sister, Barbara Irwin, lived in Los Angeles, and she helped my parents with the necessary arrangements. They met Janice's attorney, Robert Gordon, whose elegance and firmness both comforted and frustrated them. From Bob, they learned the details of Janice's death and about the stipulation in her will that her body be cremated and her ashes scattered off the California coast near Marin. My parents were anguished. Not only had they lost their firstborn daughter, but they couldn't even take her home for a proper burial. Before he left Texas, my father had told me that they weren't sure of the cause of Janice's death. It might be a drug overdose, but it could also be that she passed out, fell, and suffocated in the shag carpet. When they got to California, they neglected to call me. They were so consumed by their duties there. I wandered around Dallas in a vacuum of facts, hearing the litany on the radio and the gossip of the partially informed in the halls of Southern Methodist University's classroom buildings. I became furious at those faceless rock-and-roll people who had considered themselves Janice's friends. How could they let her do heroin? Everyone was doing drugs, including me, but heroin was different. She should have known better. They should have stopped her. Didn't anyone care enough to intervene? I chastised myself for not having been a better sister and knowing about the heroin. Why didn't someone do something? Most of all, I blamed her role as the queen of rock and roll, that lofty perch from which no mortal woman could hear caution or wisdom. The coroner's report was soon final, and the verdict was an overdose of heroin. She had only been using for a few weeks, taking it as a late-night relaxer every third day or so, after a hard day recording a new album for Columbia Records. My parents wrangled with Bob Gordon, and he fretted with the press, the police, and the coroner to ensure a quiet ceremony for the family to pay their last respects. In a funeral chapel, they said goodbye to Janice, while my brother and I both sat in confused isolation in separate Texas towns. Nothing showed the weaknesses in our family quite like the way we handled Janice's death. We had no funeral to attend as a family. There was no grave for a later pilgrimage. There was no wake full of loved ones who could share our affection and our loss. We cried alone. It would never be enough to say simply that I loved Janice. She meant much more to me than that. When I was born, Janice was six years old, she took me under her wing as soon as I was able to hobble after her. On the wall of the bedroom we shared, Mother hung pictures of two girls giggling and telling stories to each other. That is how I remember my early years, intertwined with my constant companion and interpreter of the world, my elder sister. She helped me with everything and took me everywhere. In turn, I idolized her. With six years' difference in age, our daily experiences were often inexplicable to one another. I started grade school when she went on to junior high. I started junior high when she was entering college. I started college when she became the hippie rock and roll queen. 
So our relationship was never based on sharing the same challenges in life. Our alliance was something more basic, a fundamental trust that continued through all changing circumstances. We talked straight to the core. We shared images, fantasies, and feelings that were like secret rooms that others might not even know existed. My parents called and I got the final details. It was finished in some ways. In other ways, my experience had hardly begun. Several weeks after Janice died, Bob Gordon called. Would you like to come to the party? Janice left $2,500 in her will to throw a party for her friends after her death. Janice had been taken by the idea of partying after a friend died. She told writer Michael Thomas, Chocolate George, so nicknamed because he had a passion for chocolate milk, one of the angels got killed and they threw a free thing in the park.